0: You know, when I was growing up, being a follower was not a good thing. It was not something that anybody was striving for. You didn't want to be a follower. You wanted to be a leader. But one of the interesting twists of our day, a new phenomenon that has come upon us, is the desire to be a follower and to, to gather followers. With the coming of Twitter and tweeting We have come to this expanded use of follower. Now, I'm not in the whole Twitter world, but it's become a a huge worldwide happening. In the Twitterverse, the number one person, the person with the most followers, with over 50 million followers, is Katy Perry. The singer, right behind her, right behind, just barely, is Justin Bieber. Okay? Third on that list, 10 million less than those two. Third on the list is President Barack Obama. Oprah is 16th on the list with 23 million. Bill Gates is 39th on the list with 14 million. ESPN, now that, there should be number one right there, is 91st on the list with 9 million. The Pope is 254th on the list with 4 million. In the Twitter world, you know, a follower is someone who reads about your life. They follow the happenings of your life with tabloid-like interest. For, for the most part, it seems that Twitter is just another way for an entertainer or an entrepreneur to try to make themselves more famous. Following someone is, is nothing more than just having an interest in them, a, a curiosity, a fascination, while waiting to hear their latest 140-character-long message. You know, but sometimes I'm afraid. Sometimes I think, That the way we follow Christ is more like following someone on Twitter. You see, we follow him with interest. We're we're fascinated with him. We are attracted to him. He's he's wonderful. God is great. We're following him. But are we following him? You see, to be a, a true follower of Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus the way the Bible describes it, it means so much more. It involves obedience and respect and understanding and truth. It involves pursuit and passion and stick It involves sacrifice and service, love and devotion. It involves our feet and our hands and our heads and our hearts. It involves real, substantive, life-changing commitment. Today we're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 5, the account of Peter's decision to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. So open your Bibles with me uh, to Luke chapter 5, and we'll read verses 1 through 11. It says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to, put out a little bit from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And we had finished speaking. He said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners to, in the other boat to come and help them and, They came and filled both boats so that they were beginning to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, for now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Father, it is our passion at this moment to hear from you through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. This is an amazing passage. The amazing passage that... We're going to talk about today three steps to becoming a committed follower of Christ. The first one is that you have to know what Jesus taught. The crowds are following Jesus wherever he goes. He's been preaching throughout the region of Galilee from synagogue to synagogue, from town to town. At the end of the previous chapter, we see that after a long day of ministry on the Sabbath at Capernaum, Jesus at daybreak departed from there to, to get some alone time with his father. we we'll see that that was Jesus' pattern of his life. But the people sought him out. They they wanted him to come back to Capernaum, come back to their town and stay. They wanted all the blessings of having Jesus in their town. They wanted it for themselves. They wanted him to stay. But Jesus knew his mission and he said there in Luke chapter 4, verse 43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. One of the great purposes of Jesus was to preach the good news of the kingdom. It says in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, right before the parallel passage of what we're going to be talking about today in Luke, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus had a powerful and literally earth-changing message to preach and to proclaim throughout the land. On this occasion, as we read, as recorded for us in Luke, Jesus is being pressed in by the crowds that are so great. They wanted to hear the word of God. They'd never heard teaching like Jesus was teaching. His message had authority and listening to Jesus speak was like listening to direct revelation of God. It was like listening to the very words of God, because it was. See, the crowds have followed him, they pressed in, they pursued him, but not just for his miracles, but also for his message. The crowd was so large and pressing in on Jesus, that standing by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus had an idea that would enhance his ability to teach the whole crowd. Luke calls the Sea of Galilee in our passage, by one of its regional names, the Lake of Gennesaret. Luke always refers to the Sea of Galilee as a lake. Gennesaret was a a fertile plain alongside the Sea of Galilee near the city of Capernaum. Luke probably uses this name of the Sea of Galilee to help describe where the action of this story is taking place. So Jesus is pressed in by this large crowd as he's walking along the lake. Jesus sees those two empty fishing boats moored along the lakefront. The fishermen are done fishing. They'd fished all night, and as verse 5 tells us, without a single catch. Now, as daytime has arrived, and with the prospects of successfully fishing significantly dwindled, they'd given up and come to shore and were cleaning their nets. Jesus gets into one of the fishing boats, uh, the boat that belonged to Peter, and asks to be put out into the lake. From there, he sits down into the boat. Sitting was the customary way of formally teaching. And he teaches the people. Using the boat as his pulpit and the natural acoustics of the water and the land to create this mini amphitheater, he teaches the crowd. The events of chapter 5 of of Luke are several months to nearly a year into Jesus' ministry. Jesus has already been Taught, teaching throughout the regions of Galilee and Judea. He has performed numerous miracles. He's been baptized by John the Baptist, been tempted in the wilderness, turned water into wine at a wedding at Cana, had this great conversation with Nicodemus, had been rejected in Nazareth. He already had many people following him. Simon, who we more commonly call Peter, is well acquainted with Jesus. We saw in Luke chapter 4 that That Jesus was staying at his house. That Jesus healed his mother-in-law. We see in John chapter 1 that that Peter has been connected with Jesus as one of his special followers and was already doing that before the story that we are looking at today occurs. See, Peter had seen firsthand many of the miracles of Jesus. Peter had accompanied Jesus on many of his teaching opportunities throughout the area. He was a follower of Jesus. He knows Jesus. He had heard Jesus teach. He had heard Jesus proclaiming the gospel, saying, repent and believe. The kingdom of God is at hand. The story today is not about the conversion of Peter from disbelief in Jesus to repentance and belief. Peter already believes. Peter has already repented. Peter already trusts in Jesus as his Messiah. The passage is not about conversion. It's about commitment. It's about calling. It's about conviction and confession. It's about becoming a sold-out disciple for Jesus Christ. This passage today is a challenge. It's a challenge for each one of us in this room right now who calls themselves a Christian, a follower of Christ. See, the first step on the road of becoming a committed follower of Christ is to know what Jesus taught. How can anyone be fully committed to something they don't really know? So how are we doing on knowing what Jesus taught? If we're his willing followers, how well do we know our master? If we are his disciples, how well do we know our teacher? If we believe in Jesus, we need to know Jesus. And I'm not just talking about knowing facts. So often we come to moments like this and we just focus on the cognitive, the thinking and the knowledge. It's important to know Facts that Jesus taught. Each follower of Christ should be able to describe who God is, should be able to define what the gospel is, should be able to explain why Jesus died. Each one of us who are followers of Christ should be able to know and explain the basic tenets of our doctrines and beliefs. But simply memorizing and reciting what one believes is not enough. You see, Jesus didn't come to just give us new knowledge. Jesus didn't come to give us new information. He came to give us a new life. He came to give us a new heart. He came to give us eternal life, an abundant life. It is the application of our new knowledge that leads to a growing and vibrant, grace-filled, faith-stretching relationship with Jesus Christ. So how are you doing in taking what the Bible is teaching us and actually living it out in our lives. You see, Peter was engaged in the process of learning more from Jesus and applying it to his life. He had already established a steady and regular pattern of his life of obedience to Jesus. But Jesus had a special lesson for him that radically altered his commitment to Christ. The next step to becoming a more fully devoted follower of Christ is that you have to see Jesus for who he really is. See, Jesus has finished his teaching. I'm sure that Peter and the other fishermen partners there had finished washing their nets and they were sitting along the shore and listening to Jesus teach. Then Jesus calls out to his friend Peter and tells him to go back into the lake and go fishing. Jesus tells him to take take his fishing boat to the deep water of the lake and to let down his nets and to catch fish. Peter had just fished all night without catching a single fish. He's rather tired and discouraged by his evening work. He's cleaned up all of his gear and, in preparation for next evening's fishing trip. He's now sat there and listened to Jesus teach and now probably the first thought in his mind is, I just want to go home and get some rest. I don't want to go back out fishing when the when the fishing isn't even good anyway. I can imagine that Peter kind of takes a second to answer in his mind and is putting it all together did jesus just tell me to go fishing i'm a professional fisherman i've fished all night in a prime location and i didn't catch a thing and now jesus wants me to go fishing now when the chances of catching anything are are so dwindled jesus you can use my boat for a pulpit but but leave the fishing to me see you're a carpenter i'm a fisherman Peter said in verse 5, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. You know, sometimes our greatest spiritual lessons come in the area of our expertise. Sometimes the greatest spiritual lessons we get are when we are humbled in the area of our expertise. I don't need Jesus' help there. I can handle that area of my life. Don't mess with me there. I just want your help over here. How often do we spurn some of the greatest lessons of our faith by relying on our own competency rather than just simply obeying God's word? Peter could have turned and walked away, but he didn't. He had experienced enough in his relationship with Jesus that he was simply obedient to Jesus' word even when it didn't make total sense to him. He had his doubts, but he responded in obedience. All he had to go on was the word of Christ. And that was enough for him. His faith and trust in Jesus was real. When all we have to go on is the word of Christ, is that enough for us? Is our faith and trust in Jesus so real and substantive that when Jesus tells us to do something, do we do it regardless of our doubts or what we think makes more sense? Folks, all Peter had was God's word. All we have is God's word. And that is enough. That is all we need. Peter says, but at your word, I will let down the nets. So he gathered his freshly cleaned nets. He put them in a boat. He convinces one of his fishing buddies to to come along with him. And he sets out in obedience to Jesus. Peter obeys his master. Sometimes simple obedience in our lives, even in the face of our questions, can result in overflowing blessings by our God. So listen again here to what happened next. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the the other boat to come and help them. And, And when they came, they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. While Peter hauls in the greatest catch of his life, the most overwhelming amount of fish that he has ever seen at one time in his whole experience as being a professional fisherman. Peter is broken. Peter's not celebrating. Peter's not high-fiving his partners. Peter is moved by the conviction of the Holy Spirit on his heart. Peter is stirred in the deepest part of his soul. His pride, his pretension, his arrogance, his sinfulness has overwhelmed his thoughts. He is broken and he's humbled in the very area of his strength. He has been awakened to a new reality about Jesus, which opens up for him a new reality about himself. He can't even look at Jesus. See, all of a sudden in the midst of Of This event is this personal revelation from God to him about who Jesus is and and who he is. The awesomeness of Jesus has revealed the sinfulness of his own heart. Isaiah came to that same experience, remember? In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah had a vision of the throne room of God. It says, I saw the, the Lord sitting on the throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above them stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. It's resonating. The holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called out in the house, was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah recognized his own personal sinfulness in the presence of God's amazing awesomeness and holiness. Abraham and Job and Daniel all had similar moments of recognizing their personal sinfulness when they were in the amazing, awesome presence of God. See, Peter caught a glimpse of that amazing awesomeness of Christ. And he fell at Jesus' knees and he worshipped. Peter saw the hand of God with tears flowing. With a broken heart, with his head hanging low, he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You know what? The longer we are in Christ, the more we identify with Peter. In verse 8. You know, the longer we get to know Christ, the more fully we understand and see the real Jesus. The more clearly, the more accurately we see ourselves. Don't look at yourself to see yourself more accurately. Look to Jesus to see yourself more accurately. Has the awesomeness of the perfection and the beauty and the holiness of Jesus broken your soul? Do you see Jesus for who he really is? He's, he's not just your friend. He's not just your savior. He's not just your mediator. He is the Holy One of God. The purest of perfection. The spotless sinless lamb. He is awesome in power, commanding nature and supernatural with just his words. When we see him, and then we see ourselves, and we experience that mighty gulf between us, we respond, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O oh Lord. Have you ever been broken before Jesus? Jesus. But beloved, here's a, here's a great follow-up to the truth about brokenness. Jesus doesn't want you to live there. Now, listen closely. Jesus doesn't want you to live in the reality of our sinfulness. It's real, and being broken about our sin is a crucial step to a wholehearted devotion to God. But it's only a place we visit. It's not a place we stay. Jesus doesn't want us to stay there because he came to take us from there. He came to take our sins. He came to give us forgiveness. Second Corinthians 521 says, for our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. First Peter 224 says he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. First John 4, 9-10 says, And this is love that God has manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice, the substitutionary atonement for our sins. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus didn't come to make us wallow in our sinfulness, but to make us realize that we're living with the pigs. But get up and run home to your loving, heavenly Father. Oh, folks, it's in those moments of brokenness that we overflow with a recognition of his love. We overflow with his acceptance. We overflow with the gratitude that we have to Jesus as our Savior, to Jesus as the lover of our souls, to Jesus as the forgiver of our sins, Jesus as our Lord. Dr. Dixon, president of Cedarville University, when I was there, had a saying, those whom God breaks the most, he uses the most. Don't shy away from experiencing your brokenness in Christ. Don't shy away from that, because it is at those moments when Christ breaks through and you experience in a deeper way His love, His grace, His mercy, and His forgiveness. Because it is experiencing our brokenness and experiencing God's reconciliation and restoration that then prepares us to be a greater tool for the purposes of God. I long to be broken by God, because I long to be restored by God. Because I long to be used by God. To be a fully devoted, sold out, 100% committed follower of Christ. You have to see Jesus for who he really is. You have to see yourself for who you really are. And then you will respond with a, a deeper love and motivation to follow Christ. To be used by your Christ. Because you will know in a real substantive way the depth of God's love and forgiveness for you. I can just imagine that that Jesus picked Peter up, looked directly into his eyes and said to him, follow me. Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishers of men. He was saying to Peter, I choose you. I love you. I want you. I I have a purpose and a plan for you. And Jesus is saying that to each one of us. Follow me. Don't be afraid. I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. I love you. I, I choose you. The next step to becoming a fully devoted follower of Christ is to respond with everything, everything of us to Jesus' invitation. You give up everything. Verse 11 says they left everything and followed Jesus. David Platt says let's put ourselves in the shoes of, these, of those eager to follow Jesus in the first century. What if I were that potential disciple being told to drop my nets? What if you were the man who Jesus told to not even say goodbye to his family? This is where we come face to face with a dangerous reality. We do have to give up everything when we follow Jesus. We do have to love in a way that makes our closest relationships in this world look like hate. But we don't want to believe it. We're afraid what it might mean for our lives. So we rationalize these passages away. And this is where we need to pause. Because we're starting to redefine Christianity. We're, we're giving in to the dangerous temptation to take Jesus of the Bible and twist him into a version of Jesus that we find more comfortable. A nice, middle-class American Jesus. But do you realize and what we're doing at this point? We're molding Jesus into our own image. The powerful, challenging words and thoughts. When the boat gets to land, Peter leaves the greatest catch of fish that this professional fisherman has ever experienced. He leaves it all behind to passionately pursue his Savior, Jesus Christ. His commitment had grown exponentially. Now his identity is completely found in Christ. Not in the things of this world, No things no longer have that lure on his soul, not in the relationships of this world. No relationship has that lure on his soul. You see, in leaving everything and giving up everything, he found the greatest treasure, the greatest love, the greatest purpose of all for his life. The great missionary Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. In Matthew 13, Jesus gives us this great parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has so that he can buy that field. So the sky is walking in the field. And he stumbles. And he finds this hidden treasure. A treasure that is worth more than he could ever dream of. He looks around, you know, to make sure that nobody saw him. He quickly buries a treasure so that there's no indication that he was ever there. Then he goes and sells everything. Everything he owns. He sells it all. His friends and his family think he's gone crazy. They question him, what are you doing? He tells them that he's selling everything so he could buy a field. They kind of look in disbelief. You're selling everything to buy a field? What a terrible investment. But folks, he knows something, doesn't he? He knows that he's really not giving up anything. He knows that he's really not sacrificing anything. He knows that in the end, instead of losing, he's gaining. He knows that in the end, he's not being stupid, he's being wise. He knows that in the end, he's not failing in his life. He's experiencing the greatest treasure of his life. He sells it all. He abandons it all with joy. Because he has found something worth losing everything for. Have you found something? Have you found someone that is worth losing everything for? Have you abandoned it all with joy because the one who calls you is worth it? Jesus is saying to you, from now on, follow me. Don't be afraid of what you might lose, because what you will gain will far outweigh it all. From now on, follow me. You might be saying to yourself, I, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be a fully devoted, sold out follower of my Savior. So, what am I supposed to do? You ready for this now? What am I supposed to do? Follow Jesus. Follow Him. At your job, follow Jesus. At your lunch break, follow Jesus. When your boss is mad at the world, what are you supposed to do? Follow Jesus. At home, when things are chaotic, what are you supposed to do? Follow Jesus. When your kids are disobedient, what are you supposed to do? Follow Jesus. At church, follow Jesus. In retirement, follow Jesus. In your expenses, in your pocketbook, what are you supposed to do? What does a sold-out, 100% committed follower of Jesus Christ do? They follow Jesus. See, pursue him, putting his plan and his priority first. From now on, Jesus said, follow me. I found this quote. As we step up in our commitment to Christ, everything begins to change about us. Our minds change. We realize that who God is and what Jesus has done and how much we need him. Our desires change. The things of this earth that we once loved, we now hate. And the things of God that we once hate, we now love. Our wills change. We, we go wherever Jesus says. We give whatever Jesus commands. We sacrifice whatever it costs to spend our lives in uncompromising obedience to God's word. Our relationships change. We lay down our lives and love for one another in the church as together we spread the gospel. Our reasons for living change. Possessions and positions are no longer our priorities. Comfort and security are no longer our concerns. Safety is no longer our goal because self is no longer our God. We now want God's glory more than we want our very own lives. The more we glorify him, the more we enjoy him, the more we realize that this is what it means biblically to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Are you following him? Are we really following him? See, we have found someone worth losing everything for. Will we surrender all to him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power of your word. From 2,000 years ago on that lakeshore in the Sea of Galilee to this room right now in our hearts, through the power of your Holy Spirit, to challenge us, to teach us. Lord, you are awesome. Thank you. And Lord, it is in this awesomeness, it is in this, this recognition of who you are that we look to you and say to you from the depths of our heart, we will follow you. We will surrender all. In Jesus' name, amen.